Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Daniel, chapter 6. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. Last week in chapter 5, and we saw the impossible happen in chapter 5. The great and the mighty, the awesome city of Babylon has fallen. If you were with us, you know that. Now keep in mind, it was impossible because the city of Babylon was a fortress. And it was huge. It was a magnificent city. It was one of the seven wonders of the world. Um, It was uh, a city that had uh, walls that were 300 feet high, 80 feet thick. They used to run chariot races on top of the walls of the city of Babylon. So it was an incredible, incredible city around the walls. They had 200, get this, and 70 towers, 270 towers. If someone were stupid enough or audacious enough to try to, to, to take the city, to attack the city, they had men stationed on these walls that would hurl down rocks and tar on your head. So this city was incredible, was unbelievable. And so the city had fallen. Although many thought it was invincible, many thought it was unshakable, and it was unconquerable. Last week we talked about Belshazzar, the king of Babylon, threw this wild party to impress a thousand of his lords and leaders. And, and while he was partying, the Medo-Persians were outside planning an attack. And if Belshazzar, as we pointed out last week, if Belshazzar had known the Bible, he would have known the name Cyrus. Why? Because 200 years before this event, God said through the prophet Isaiah in chapter 44 at the end and chapter 45 at the beginning, he prophesied that a man named Cyrus would be raised up by the Lord and invade Babylon The waters of the rivers would be dried up. The gates of the city would be opened. And that's exactly what happened. Belshazzar was drunk and making some unwise decisions. October 12th, 539 B.C., Belshazzar and the boys are partying. They saw a hand. (laughs) It's a funny story. You should go read it in your own time. I was going to tell it to you again tonight. It's so funny, but I don't have time. But Belshazzar, he's drunk lampshade on the head type drunk, you know. And across the room he sees a hand writing on the wall, and the handwriting, the word said, meeny, meeny, miny, mo. Meeny, 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 tekel you farson. And he went on to get Daniel to come in and give him the interpretation. Here's the interpretation. Simply put, King Daniel said, your number's up. You've been weighed in the balance. You're coming up short and your kingdom is going to be divided. It was at that moment that Cyrus and his boys came into the city. 
through the riverbeds, under the walls, opened the gates, and it was the greatest military upset in history. Which brings us tonight to chapter 6. The story, the saga continues. The Medes and the Persians have taken over, and the new king has come to the throne. His name is Darius. Chapter 5, look at chapter 5, beginning in verse 31. Saints, if you're there, say amen. And Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. And it pleased Darius to set, chapter 6, verse 1, it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be over the whole kingdom. And over these... Three governors, of whom Daniel was one of them, that the satraps might give account to them so that the king would not suffer any loss financially. And then this Daniel, look at verse 3, distinguished himself. Would you circle that? He distinguished himself above the governors and the satraps. Why? Because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king gave thought to setting him over the whole realm. Now, stop right there. Give me your attention. We've come basically here in chapter 6 to the end of the Babylonian kingdom. And King Darius has come to the throne. Now, who is he? Well, we already know that he is 62 years of age and he is a Mede. He was given the Babylonian kingdom to rule. His name is Darius. Some people pronounce it Darius. He is obviously a very astute political leader and administrator. We want to take note that he established 120 satraps, or they would be region commissioners. And these 120 region commissioners, if you will, reported to three governors. They would be like joint chiefs of staff. And Daniel, note this, was one of them. Now, it's the year 537 B.C. Daniel was born in 625 B.C. Therefore, Daniel is around 87 or 90 years old. Daniel, at this point in chapter 6, is an old guy. Now, remember in chapter 1, we talked about Daniel who purposed in his heart. I just find this to be interesting. Perhaps you will too. In chapter 1, Daniel purposed in his heart. We know that around chapter 1, he was about 17 years old. He was a teenager. He purposed in his heart to live a righteous life. He purposed in his heart to please the Lord. He purposed in his heart that he wasn't going to partake of the king's delicacies. He was just a teenager at that time. And he was serving God then. Who says teenagers can't serve God? Amen, saints. And here he is in chapter 6. He's almost 90. And he's still purposing in his heart. All them years. And he's been serving God. Isn't that beautiful? And I just think that's wonderful. All these years he's been faithful. All these years he's been purposing in his heart. And it is also interesting that Daniel outlived kings in every kingdom. Why? I think because he purposed in his heart. And Daniel was faithful. And he was diligent. And he was doing a good job. Apparently doing a better job than the other guys. Because Darius looked at Daniel and he says, Daniel, you're going to be my new prime minister. 
Now notice in verse 3 again, Daniel distinguished himself because of an excellent spirit in him or literally, literally an extraordinary attitude. We already learned that Daniel had a great attitude. He was a faithful man. So far in these chapters, in chapters 1 through 6, we've learned that Daniel was faithful. He was hardworking. He was a man of wisdom and intelligence. He was bold. Daniel would stand up for what was godly and what was right. He had discretion and discernment. He would pray and seek the Lord whenever he didn't know what to do. He watched out for his friends. He was respectful. And he had a good attitude and a good work ethic among a pagan world. You know, watch your witness when you're working among the pagan world. You know, so often we, f- we forget. When you're working in the world, wa- watch your witness. Be faithful, like Daniel. You know, oftentimes we think, you know, ministry. I've had lots of people talk to me about ministry. And a lot of times people really have the perception that full-time ministry is, 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 is you know, where it's at. That, that for some reason, don't, don't misunderstand me, I love being a pastor, but, but, but people have the mistake, they think that, you know, being in full-time ministry is like, then you've arrived. I mean, you re- this is when you're really doing ministry, when you're full-time in the ministry. People think that. Can I tell you something? Promise to tell everybody? I, I was doing full-time, I was doing more ministry and had the ability to do more ministry and more evangelism when I worked in the secular world than I do right now. What, Rodney? Yep, that's true. You know, when I was in the military, I got to share the Lord with guys all the time, every day. I led guys to the Lord all the time. It was a blessing. I was thinking about that today. I thought about this one guy. I don't even remember his name. But I remember asking that guy, did he want to accept the Lord? He said, yeah. And we were standing near, and he didn't, a lot of people were around, and, you know, he wanted to have, like, a little private moment, you know what I mean? And so I, there was a broom closet right there. And so I said, well, hey, you know, if you don't mind, well, let's just step in the broom closet, you know. Well, just make it our little sanctuary right there next to the mop and glow, you know. We just, you know, right here, right now, come on. And we, we stepped in the broom closet. Okay, now, repeat after me, Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus, receive you in my heart right there in the broom closet. Now that, my friend, is ministry. I remember when I got out of the military, I was working for Sharps Hospital. And I, and I walk into this lady's room, and I was working. I was drawing blood, talking about ministry. And I was drawing blood and working for this hospital. And I walk into this lady's room. She's sitting up in her bed, and she's fixing her face. And she's, she's got her hair all nice and done and and she's putting on makeup, and she's got the mirror and all this makeup around and stuff. And I'm saying, hey, how you doing? I'm here to, from the lab. I'm here to draw your blood. And uh, she's getting her lipstick on, and she looks up at me, and she says, uh, she says, well, I, I might as well tell you because I can't tell my husband. She says, the doctor just told me I had cancer, and I'm going to die. And I don't know, I mean, I was having a day. I, I literally was like, okay, um... I'll be right back. And I walked out of the room. I just was bawling. I mean, it was like one of those days. I was just bawling. And, 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 and I walked back in, and, and I had an opportunity to just sit there and share the Lord with this woman and, and talk to her about the hope of heaven. 
You see, that's ministry. That's ministry. I got to share the Lord so many times in so many places with so many people all around the world. 1990, I get off the plane. I'm in Saudi Arabia. Got off the plane. I told you this story. Got in the airplane hangar there, dropped my sea bag, dropped my cot, all my stuff, stood up on a big trash can, held my Bible up and said, hey, I'm going out for a Bible study. Anybody want to come? And 40, 50 guys were like, yeah, we'll come to Bible study. Guys had Bibles that I didn't even know they knew what a Bible was. You know how the Marines are. And uh, they came out, and it was ministry. It was ministry. Every day had a Bible study in Saudi Arabia. Every day, just sharing the Lord, ministry. So often we think that when you get in church, this is where ministry is. I honestly do less ministry in terms of really sharing the gospel. Now I do it with a lot more people, and I appreciate that, and I love what I do. You know that. But, but it was different. That's all I'm trying to say. It was different. And don't be so quick to loathe where you are and be thinking, oh, I'm working around all these heathens, all these evil people. Hey, that's your ministry. That's your mission field. Oh, I'm trying to go to witness to the pygmies in Africa. Well, what about the people in the cubicle right next to you at IBM? Y'all say amen, would you? That's true. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. What about them? And you know, we're just so quick to get somewhere God hadn't called us. You see, if God hadn't called you to work in the church, you'll hate it. Now, I personally am a very nice boss, but you will. (laughs) Right, staff? (laughs) The staff is like, yes, pastor. Yes, pastor. Don't be so quick. You know, Daniel had a good work ethic, and he had an extraordinary attitude. That's what it means. He had an extraordinary attitude toward work and ministry and people and life and all of these things. And this is what made him distinguished among all the other men. How about your attitude when you get to work? How is your attitude? Do people even know you're a Christian? When you get into work, do you come in all grumpy? You know, all grumpy. How you doing this morning? Fine. Are you okay? Yes. Don't I look it? No, you don't. I'm going to read my Bible. It's like, whoa, man, if God got you acting like that, I don't want nothing to do with it. Isn't that the truth? And and shouldn't Christians be joyous people? Shouldn't Christians have an extraordinary attitude? Christians should have an extraordinary attitude. It shouldn't be said of Christians, they frowning all the time and looking all sad. And why? You serve a great and awesome God. Don't you know? Didn't somebody tell you? God is awesome. Why would you be sad? No matter what you're going through, God is still God. No matter what happens, God is still God. I don't have enough. Well, he'd never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. At work, they're persecuting me. You know, just, just 
extraordinary attitude. So this is what distinguished Daniel uh, among all the other men. And so because of his extraordinary attitude and because he was distinguished, God used him and God will use you too. You know, it reminds me of the verse in Second Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9, and it says this, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. You see, right now, God is looking for men and women in whom he can show himself strong through. God's looking for empty vessels that he can fill and that he can flow through. And God is searching and going up and down the aisles even right now, looking for someone whose heart is perfect toward him. Does that mean that they're, they're, they're flawless, that their sins are, that they're flawless or that they have no shortcomings? No. What that actually means is that you have made up in your mind that you're going to serve God. That's what it means to have a perfect heart toward God. It doesn't mean that you're sinless, but it just means that God, no matter what, I will serve you. That's what God is looking for. And when he finds that person, that man or that woman, then he'll use you mightily because you've got an extraordinary attitude toward him and about his work. And so Darius, he saw an excellent spirit in Daniel, but the others noticed this. They saw jealousy. Look at verse four. If you're with me, say amen. So the governors and the satraps sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could not find, uh, they could, but they could find no charge or fault because he was faithful, nor was there any error or fault found in him. These men said, we shall not find any charge against Daniel unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God. And so these governors and these satraps, they thronged before the king and they and they said thus to him, King Darius, live forever. Now, now King Darius ought to know it's coming now because when people start flattering you like right up front, beware. You know, oh, King Darius, live forever. All the governors of the kingdom in verse seven, they said, The administrators and the satraps, the counselors and advisors have consulted together to establish a royal statute and to make a firm decree that whoever petitions any god or man for 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, established a decree and signed the writing so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which does not alter. Therefore, King Darius signed the writing or signed the written decree. Now, now, now we got to stop, stop right there. Notice, for the reasons of pure pride and jealousy, these guys seek to discredit Daniel. They're ambitious politicians scheming in a smoke-filled room of politics, looking for ways to defame and discredit Daniel. You see, these guys don't see their political office as service. It's more like a trophy. It's about power and the prize to serve their selfish agenda and self-promotion. So jealousy is running wild in the workplace. You see that? And they tried to find fault, but they could not because Daniel was faithful and Daniel was blameless and Daniel was a man of integrity and he was different from them. And man, could we talk about politics today? Now, you know, the Bible says there's nothing new under the sun. 
And exactly what they're doing with Daniel is what is happening in the political realm today. They're just seeking to discredit him. I'm amazed at all the TV ads and everybody's slinging mud at each other. Just slinging mud at each other. You know, when you sling mud at someone else, your hands get dirty too. You try to lift yourself up and put somebody else down. That's what they're doing. And so we see that here. Now, don't misunderstand. If you're a Christian and you're living a Christian life, and, you know, you're going to be different. Daniel, he's different. You're going to be different. You're going to be, you know, you're going to be weird in the workplace. I mean, no question. You know, when I was working in the work world, I was different than most of the other guys. I didn't go to the parties and all of the things that they invite us to, and we travel all around the world, and I didn't go to those places that they sought so diligently to go to. I, I was different. Daniel was different. He, he, was, he wasn't like them, and that's what caused him to be distinguished, you know, among all the other guys. You know, Daniel was the kind of guy that he was a man of integrity in the workplace. You know, he was the kind of guy that didn't take the extra 10 minutes for lunch. You wouldn't find Daniel shaking the vending machine trying to shake loose the Snickers. <laughs> oh, y'all done it. Don't act holy in church. <laughs> you know, I remember when it some years ago, I don't know, I'll tell the truth because I'm in church. But um, I used to go like phone booth to phone booth and check the little slots for the coins. <laughs> Confession. <laughs> You know, if I found the coins, man, I'd be like, oh, yeah, got me some change. You know, I'd go all of Philly. i go from one end of Philly to the next, you know. <laughs> got a ton of change. <laughs> you know, Daniel wouldn't do that. <laughs> you know, he, he, he'd, he'd get change and try to return it. He was a man of integrity, you know. Daniel wasn't the kind of guy that somebody drops 10 bucks and, he, you know, he'd pick it up and put it in the pocket. Say, oh, the Lord's blessing me. <laughs> You know, you know, ooh, man, I found $20. Oh, you saw the guy that dropped it now. I know you did. But, you know, you go, well, what the Lord provides, you know? <laughs> See, Daniel wouldn't do that. You know, Daniel, I don't think Daniel would even drive and break the speed limit. I really don't. He would drive 55. He's a man of integrity. He'd drive 55. I don't think they, do they call it California rolling stops here in North Carolina when you you don't really stop at the stop sign. I mean, you sort of do, but you don't. They call that California rolling stops here in North Carolina. What do they call it? What do they call it? You just ran the stop sign. That's what they call it, right? Okay. I don't think, you know, he wouldn't do that. He was just a man of integrity. Because remember, they were watching him. They were watching him to find something to blame him for. And they could find nothing. That's what they said. We have found no fault in him. Hey, don't that sound familiar? Jesus, remember? Pilate said, I find no fault in him. So they could find no fault in Daniel. He was a man of integrity. He was different. And the only hope of getting rid of Daniel is to use his faith against him in verse 5. And so they resort to flattery. Oh, king, live forever. You know, they say, we've been thinking you're the new king now. And there's no king like you. Only you should be worshipped and get the attention. So we think you should make a decree that no one can pray to their God for 30 days. And the king is thinking, yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. That sounds like a plan. And they say, king, go ahead and put your John Hancock on the decree. And it will be law and it can't be changed no matter what. 
Now remember, under King Nebuchadnezzar, you remember the kind of government they had? It was called a what? An absolute monarchy, which meant that no one could challenge the king. Whatever the king says goes without question. But the Medo-Persians under Cyrus and Darius, it wasn't an absolute monarchy. It was a constitutional monarchy, which means they had to obey the written law. So once the king signed his name, it couldn't be changed, even if the king and even the king himself was bound by that law. He couldn't say, oh, you know, I didn't really mean that. He couldn't do that. So he signs the decree. And notice what happens in verse 10. Now, when Daniel knew that the written, that the writing was signed in verse 10, notice what he did. He went home. And in his upper room, with his window open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day, and he prayed. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch in Calvary Chapel, Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.